Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiaki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome to the Science of Magic, a place where science and magic come together to transform fact into evolving truth. We're proudly coming to you through the ever-expanding Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, and can also be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Golda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring shamanic power. I saw it with my own eyes, yet I couldn't believe it. The child's wrist was so bruised as to appear purple and swollen to twice its size. Without touching him, my teacher put his hands on either side of the little fellow's injury. 
I could feel an amazing calm emanating from the old man. Just like time-lapse photography, between his weathered brown hands, the swellings shrank and color returned to normal. How did you do that? I demanded when I found my voice. The body wants to be right. I just reminded of what that is. But how? I queried. I bring the power of our mother and father together in my heart and let it flow between my hands, he responded, placing his hands on either side of one of mine. At first I felt nothing, then warmth. Soon my hand tingled as if an electric current was passing through it. I pulled my hand away and shook it, suffering from a serious case of the meebie-jeebies. Can you teach me, I asked, thinking it would be way cool to be able to do that. Yes, but first you must become right yourself. Power only moves through a hollow bone. It wasn't the first time he'd used the hollow bone analogy. I found it beyond frustrating. No matter what I asked him to teach me, he always came back to that darn hollow bone mumbo-jumbo. I was convinced he was withholding information. If he'd just show me the technique, I was sure I could do the amazing things he did. The arrogance of youth. We were tending a lodge fire when wind changed directions. The spark from the blaze was blowing towards the large pile of wood we'd gathered. He stood facing the wind and called out something in Lakota. Immediately, the wind changed direction again. I thought it was just a coincidence until he did it three more times in succession. When I asked him about it, he said, it only works if the wind doesn't have other plans. Huh? Being in the man's presence was an awesome thing. There was an amazing grounded calm about him, yet that very calm rattled against my patterns and denials. We'd been doing something mundane like gathering sage, and out of the blue, I'd have a spontaneous memory of a childhood trauma. Now, that in and of itself was odd enough, but often, though I hadn't mentioned it to him, he'd say something indicating he clearly saw what I was remembering. His words would help me reframe my experience, forgiving myself and others. Later, I learned it was one of the many ways he helped me to become the hollow bone. During the time I studied with him, I witnessed his healing of animals and people. I experienced him easing any ant bites or removing my headache. I witnessed him calling the thunder and the rain. He'd stand in a clearing, hold his arms out, and wild ravens would land on them. Yet he never appeared to overpower so much as invite. He was one with the way life worked and therefore, somehow, empowered by it. How did he do these things he did? Was he somehow able to trick my mind into thinking I was seeing things? What's the phys physics behind his abilities? I'm not alone in witnessing these seeming miracles. Shamanism has been around for 50,000 years, and there are numerous first-hand accounts of seemingly impossible feats performed by shamanic masters. Where does shamanic power come from? What makes it work? Our guest this hour is infinitely qualified and just may have some answers to these perplexing questions. Stanley Kepner, Ph.D., the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder, is a professor of psychology at Saybrook University in Oakland, California. Formerly, he was the director of a medical-centered research laboratory in Brooklyn, New York. Kripner is a pioneer in the study of consciousness. After this commercial break, I'll introduce Stanley, and together we'll explore the magic and the science behind shamanic power. So don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Prior innovative episodes can always be found on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Network broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying. Welcome back. This is a science of magic dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Stanley Krippner, Ph.D., a professor of psychology at Saybrook University and the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. Stanley has conducted research for over 50 years in the areas of dreams, hypnosis, shamanism, and disassociation, often from a cross-cultural perspective and with emphasis on anomalous phenomenon that seem to question mainstream paradigms. His website is stanleykrippner.weebly.com. Com. Stanley, thank you so much for joining us on the Science of Magic. Stanley? Yes? I said thank you so much for joining us on the Science of Magic. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm very happy to be with you. What do dreams, hypnosis, shamanism, and disassociation have in common? Well, all of them are manifestations of what we can loosely call Consciousness, which is an umbrella term that we use to describe how people and other animals, in fact, and other organisms, sense, think, and feel, and plan, because intention is a very important part of consciousness. And in hypnosis, One's attention is directed in certain ways to the benefit of the person being hypnotized, hopefully. And in dissociation, 
one's attention is directed away from what is going on because what's going on is very, very unpleasant or very, very uh, painful. And in dreams, one's attention is directed inward to the thinking and feeling that takes place during sleep. And so consciousness can go in many, many different directions and have many, many manifestations. Uh, you, you're as a pioneer of uh, study of consciousness. How does the practice of shamanism relate to consciousness? I've actually been interested in shamanism for many, many decades, having grown up in Wisconsin, where I was able to pick up arrowheads after my father plowed the land, and we knew that the Potawatomi Indians were frequently. Uh, using the land centuries ago. And this led me to study shamanism because it was one of many, many aspects of the American Indian legacy. And then when I met my first shaman, I felt very much at home because she was talking in terms that were very, very familiar to me. And I realized that there was a tie-in between shamanism and psychology because you might say that shamans were the earliest psychologists Psychologists, is, psychologists are students of behavior and of experience. Well, shamans do the same thing. They watch the person's behavior. They monitor the person's experience, all in terms of helping them get well, helping their tribe find game in the old days, helping the community solve its problems, and so shamans have played a very, very important role that uh, covers a lot of the territory that's also covered by psychology. Mm. You know, my, my first teacher, uh, he said if one member of the tribe is sick, the entire tribe is sick. And one of the things he taught me that I can't implement very well in, in our modern-day society is he would go live with the family when there was a sick person in it because he felt the sickness came from a dysfunction that was much broader than just the individual. Is this what you're talking about, being able to really know these things and see them in person? Oh, yes. The shaman was often called upon to mediate disputes with the clan or with the whole tribe. And this is where the shaman differed from the chief. The chief was the political and military leader of the tribe, and he or she was able to lead the people to protect themselves in times of war or to govern themselves effectively. But when there was a dispute, the shaman usually called in to do some mediation. Of course, all the tribes were different. In North America, there were probably 100 different tribes before the European invasion. Did I say 100? I should have said 1,000. 1,000 tribes before wow. the Europeans came. And there was a great deal of variation among those tribes. However, in most of them, women held power that was much more effective in terms of governance than anything that women ever attained in Europe. And so when the Europeans came in and tended to rape and pillage women especially, this was a very great disruption. It was something that was not typical of life among the Indians. And then when Indians did find themselves put on reservations, the women were given a subordinate role, and again, this is much, much different than what they were used to. So the poor Indians were traumatized in many, many different ways, and that trauma even lingers to this day. And the resurgence of shamanism is very helpful because it's able to empower not only the women, but the men of the tribe, and give them back some of the identity that was lost. Mm. Do you, do you think there uh, is such a thing as true esoteric shamanic power itself? Do I think there's such a thing as true shamanic power? So far we've been talking about shamanism as, as how they were counselors and mediators and that sort of thing. But how about the shamanic power itself? Where does it come from? Do you believe in it? I think that we have to define what power is. Power is the ability to take action, to make a change. All of us have a certain amount of power. 
that the shamanic power, especially the shamanic powers of rolling thunder, as described in our book, is an unusual type of power because it pulls on so many sources. Shamans are in touch with nature. They're in touch with what they consider the spirit world. They're in touch with ancestors from the past. And so they pull from all of these sources of power to make change. They make change in people's health. They make change in the community. Rolling Thunder even made change in the weather. In our book, we talk about many instances in which he could start or stop a rainstorm, or so it seemed, so it was reported. So shamanic power is everybody's power, but magnified. The shamanic power is available to all of us to some extent, especially in terms of having the power to keep ourselves healthy by adopting a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Shamans just use those potentials to help heal other people as well. I understand that Rolling Thunder used group agreement and group power and wielded it in his healing rituals sometimes. Would you speak to this? Rolling Thunder very often did his work in front of family members, community members, because he pulled upon their support to help the person that was ill. This is something that uh, is now acknowledged in mainstream psychotherapy and psychology and psychiatry that family support, friend support, group support can be a very important agent of change to help people get healthy. Well, the shamans have known this literally for tens and thousands of years, and many of their ceremonies involve the whole community. I've been with Rolling Thunder. We had 50 people singing before the sick person came and stood in front of the campfire to undergo the healing ritual. In the southwest United States, I've been present at big community gatherings where, do the, where they do dancing, they do sand painting, they do rituals of one sort or another, and they come out feeling much better and much healthier. Sometimes a sick person is put in the middle of a circle, sometimes a circle that has sand painting around it, which is a very, very beautiful design, and the shaman tells a story. And this story resonates with the sick person and brings the person back to health. So there's also power in story, in narrative, in myth. And finding the right story for the right person is one of the great skills of shamans. Yeah, it's amazing how much storytelling is used and allegory as well. Do you think part of that is because allegory can cover so much wider a subject than just outward stating a fact? Oh, it certainly can. And Rolling Thunder was a great storyteller, and he would often tell stories about Native American past, and he would suit the story to the needs of the person or the persons who were listening among the Navajos, this is called a chantway, where they have literally dozens of chantways, and the shaman will pick the right type of chantway to recite while the sick person is undergoing the healing ritual. So we can't discount the role of narrative or of story. After all, it's story that stories that make human beings what we are. Without stories, we certainly could not even function in our world. And from an evolutionary point of view, people that could not make sense out of their world didn't survive. They died off and their genes dropped out of the gene pool. And story depends upon narrative. It depends upon a certain type of brain, a certain type of body, a certain type of group to hear the story. And Rolling Thunder stories were legendary. I've heard that of him. And aren't stories a way to reframe or maybe limiting stories that are creating illness by replacing them with a, a story that's more balanced? It's the stories that we tell ourselves that can limit us or unbind us. And this, again, gets back to the topic of power. In another one of my books, Personal Mythology, I talk about how personal myths can be constructive or they can be destructive. And Rolling Thunder realized this also. The stories that he told to members of his 
group were powerful stories that empowered somebody. And one time he was healing a young man and he heard an owl hooting and he said that owl is telling you that if you keep on abusing alcohol, you're going to die. And now you have to find it within yourself to survive. And I'm going to do a healing that will extract the poison from you, and then you've got to follow this up by right living and right speaking and right service. And then the rolling thunder is his famous ritual of sucking some vile-looking black and red fluid from the body with his mouth. Who knows what it was? Maybe it was tobacco juice. Maybe it was uh, dye. Maybe it was something else. But it was certainly symbolic, and it served the purpose. And the young man in question uh, ended his alcoholism right on the spot. That's phenomenal. We're going to have to take a break, and I'm really excited to pick up with this on the other side. Stanley and I will return to our discussion after this break. We're coming to you through the land of leading-edge paranormal broadcasting, the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. We will be back, so don't you dare go away. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at... Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. 
Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying... Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest is Aura Stanley Krippner, PhD, the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. Stanley, we've gotten into an interesting point when you're talking about Rolling Thunder doing a um, sucking extraction and spitting out some noxious fluid that we don't know what it is. You know, it seems to me that some shamanic practices use trickery and sleight of hand. What's the purpose behind that? Actually, a lot of shamans use sleight of hand, and moreover... Most members of the community know they're using sleight of hand, but this is just part of the ritual. And it's for dramatic effect. Rolling Thunder would very often take an eagle feather and would poke a person's body, and when that person winced in pain, then he would apply his mouth to that part of the body, and he would extract this uh, terrible-looking fluid spit it into a pail, and then his assistant would take it out and bury it in some remote area so that it would not uh, poison other people or would not poison the nearby plants. And, of course, this is something that is very common in shamanism. It's called cupping and sucking. And sometimes the fluid has been examined. It usually turns out to be tobacco juice. But, like I say, it serves a a symbolic purpose. meaning just like communion in the Christian churches, either wine or grape juice, and that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, but in this day and age, I don't think anybody would claim that it is the blood of Jesus Christ, but the fact that it represents the blood of Jesus Christ is what makes the Mass or the communion uh, so sacred and so meaningful to the members of that congregation. Beautifully stated, because my um, Tibetan teacher, uh, when I was getting ready to do my first extraction, he wanted me to swallow a bowl of worms. And I go, uh, you say what? And I said, but I'm I'm drawing out energy, bad energy, not something physical. He said, yes, but then if you take this bowl of worms and you swallow it, and then once you're done with the extraction, you vomit it back up. It shows the client that you've done something. It makes it real for them, and that helps them heal. And I went, there's got to be a better way. But it's so common, isn't it? It's not that they're not doing what they're saying they're doing. They're just using the ritual to align the client with what's happening on the energetic level. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. And I've seen something similar in the Philippines where the Philippines claim to do surgery and extract uh, pebbles or leaves or um, stones from a person's body. And again, as far as I'm concerned, that's sleight of hand. And again, sometimes the client knows it's sleight of hand, but it means that something is happening. It's an intervention. It's part of a ritual, and it's part of an overall healing service that uh, very, I would say, more often than not restores the person to physical and mental health. Yeah, it's amazing. It's unfortunate because from watching the practice from the outside, we say, oh, well, then it's fake. It it doesn't really happen. It's just sleight of hand. No, (laughs) it does really happen, and this helps with integration. Yes, absolutely. It's part of the ritual, and the ritual, of course, is a performance that has an intention, that has a goal to it. And in this case, the goal is to restore health to the person. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people out there these days, um, unfortunately, taking a weekend workshop, if even that, calling themselves a shaman. What would you say characterizes a true shaman, and how would you uh, advise people to find one if they're looking for help? I think that if a person wants to explore their own possible shamanic capacities, they go to a workshop that is led by a shaman who doesn't claim to be making the people in the workshop full-fledged shamans. And I'm thinking of Heart of the Healer, which is run by uh, a Latin American uh, psychologist who underwent shamanic training, Don Oscar Quisado, and I'm thinking of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, led by an anthropologist, Michael Harner, who again had shamanic training, became a shaman. Yes, they explore, help people explore their shamanic capacities. At best, they can be certified and they can become shamanic healers, or they can take what they've learned and integrate it into their psychotherapy, into their medical practice, even in some cases I know into their legal practice or in their business or engineering practice, because these shamanic skills develop people's intuition. It gives people a new way of viewing the world, a new insight into behavior of other people, and can be used in any number of very, very practical ways as well as spiritual ways. You knew the medicine man, Rolling Thunder, for over 20 years. Who was he? How would you describe him? Well, Rolling Thunder was a very, very impressive person. I mean, you would meet him and you would never forget him. He had a very unusual gaze because if you looked at him, you would conjecture whether he was in this world or in another world. A faraway gaze meant that he was seeing beyond what was in this world. A direct gaze indicated he was seeing right through you and right through the people around you. So his eyes and his gaze were certainly part of that description. Also, he had a great sense of humor, and he told wonderful stories, teaching stories and other stories just for fun and other historical stories. But also he was impressive in terms of how his very presence would magnify anything else that he was doing. And once he was in the room, without even trying to do it, he was the center of attraction. He was a bit of a catalyst, wasn't he? Very much so, yes, yes. And an artist actually did a very nice painting of Rolling Thunder for the cover of our book, The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. And this is appropriate because Rolling Thunder did not like to be photographed. And we had to really scrounge to get the photograph we use in the book. And one of the photographs that we used shows Rolling Thunder with an owl, and that actually pertains to healing. A photographer came to Rolling Thunder who had been given just a few months to live, and so out of desperation he came to Rolling Thunder, and six months went by, he was still alive, and Rolling Thunder said, well, I think that you can go back to work now, but he still had not been given permission to photograph Rolling Thunder. So a friend came to pick him up, and while the friend was there, a little baby eagle fell out of the nest, and it looked like the eagle had broken its wings, so they took it to Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder took the eagle into his hand, and he said to the photographer, now you can take your picture. (laughs) And after the picture was taken, the eagle flew away back to the nest. Wow. How, how so would you say that was one of the times when Rolling Thunder actually gave permission to have his picture taken? How would how would your association with Rolling Thunder change your life? How would you say it changed you? I think that 
Rolling Thunder made me much more aware of the unity of nature. One time when I was visiting his camp, he took me to the border of the camp where it becomes a forest, and he started to hoot several times. And then we heard some hooting back, and a pack of coyote came out of the forest. And Rolling Thunder began to hoot, and they began to hoot back, and then the coyote went back into the forest. I said, Rolling Thunder, what is that about? He said, well, it's a contract. We promise that we will not shoot them, and they promise that they will not come and raid our chicken coops and eat our chickens. And that's worked for a couple of years. We've never lost a single chicken to coyotes. So that was a good demonstration of the unity of nature and how humans can actually communicate with other forms of life and vice versa. And this is something that not only I have seen, but other people have reported that too. Rolling Thunder has communicated with uh, snakes, with birds, with um, wolves. He's uh, been reported to be a very, very good communicator with various forms of life, even plants. He would sing to plants. He talked to plants. Whenever he saw a new plant, he would ask the plant, what are you good for? What can you be used for? And some plants would say, well, I'm just for decoration. Other plants would say, well, I am a weed. I take advantage of other plants. And so if you want to get rid of me, just use my leaves for fertilizer. And then another plant would say, well, I'm a healing plant. You have to take very good care of me and don't take the whole plant because then there'll be nothing left for other people. So Rolling Thunder would always gather herbs, but he would always leave one herb there so that it could sprout and replenish itself and be good for the future. And isn't someone of this level of gift where uh, herbology started is the ability to ask the plant what it's good for and then that information has been passed down? Yes, this information can be passed down then to other people that Rolling Thunder would teach and it's something that uh, uh, he would remember because remember that uh, Rolling Thunder traveled not only to Europe but all around the United States and he would always seek out new herbs wherever he went. I was in Central America, and I went to an herb market, and I bought some herbs from uh, Guatemala, and I had them give me the name of each plant and what it was used for, and I gave those to Rolling Thunder, and then he had some new plants in his pharmacopoeia that he didn't have before. Yeah, he had a vast, vast plant knowledge. He had studied not only the Cherokee and the Shoshone healing traditions, he studied three or four other healing traditions, too, with all of their plants and all of their healing uh, rituals. And the beauty of being able to ask the plant in the moment is that you can customize it for the person's situation and the time of year and where we are on the planet and potency of the plant, yes? Oh, that's, that's, that's very true. And also... The plant will often say, I should be taken in the morning, or I should be taken in the springtime for maximum effect, because time of day and season of the year can be very, very important, or I should not be taken after a rainstorm. So the plant would give all of these directions in terms of when they could be used for greater potency. That's just amazing, isn't it? I, I think we could go a long way if we could recreate that skill in our doctors. We're, we're going to have to take a little break. So Stanley and I will be back shortly. You're listening to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net, the place where altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric create common ground for the betterment of our world. We're brought to you by the leader in paranormal spirituality and alternative health programming, the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Don't miss the other fine programs on the Exxon.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genex provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. 
Our guest this hour is Stanley Krippner, Ph.D., the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. Stanley, there's a quote in your book from Rolling Thunder, and I'd, I'd heard it before. I just love it, so I'm going to share it here. It's, the more power you have, the more careful you have to be. Now, my original teacher really instilled this concept in me, and I've, I've lived by it, because the proper management of power seems to be paramount when you're dealing with shamanic power. Would you mind speaking to this? I think that this is a very important quotation. I'm glad you picked up on it because there are many people who are called to be shamans by strange illnesses, through dreams, through heredity, through the community, and many of them want to turn the chance down because they cannot guarantee that they will use that power wisely. Because the key term in shamanism certainly is power. Power over sickness. Power that comes from immersing oneself in nature. One Power that comes from the ancestors, from the spirits, from the animals and other parts of nature. And then you have to be able to use that power responsibly because if you don't, the shamanic belief system is that the power will snap back at you and will do you in, will you will will punish you because of it. So I think that uh, I think that Rolling Thunder's advice was very, very wise and Rolling Thunder acknowledged that he was not perfect. There were times in his life when he did not use his power wisely. And we have a whole chapter in our book called He Really Liked the Girls. <laughs> and this tells yeah, this tells about uh, Rolling Thunder's romantic life and and how he used and sometimes misused that power. Mm. You know, if 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 shamanic power comes from cooperating cooperating with the way life works, if we try to misuse that power, we're torquing against the way life works, and the natural result is that nat- nasty snapback, isn't it? Yes, you're absolutely right. And in our book, we've got many examples of where Rolling Thunder really lived up to his name and seemed to have some command over thunder, over rainstorms, even over lightning. And Rolling Thunder says, it's not so much that I control nature or the skies or the weather, but I know how to merge and go along with it. You see, that's a different type of power than what we see in our world today where people and corporations and businesses exploit nature. And they, in exploiting nature, ruin nature. That's not the Indian way. That's not Rolling Thunder's way. You work along with nature, and then remarkable things can happen. So that's the difference between overpowering and becoming empowered or allowing power in. Absolutely. That's a wonderful way to put it. And Rolling Thunder was all about empowering people and empowering people to find the inner shaman to help heal themselves. And many people will say, well, he was just using the placebo effect. But you can't put down the placebo effect because the placebo effect is the activation of one's inner healer. And from an evolutionary point of view, if people didn't have that placebo effect, they'd die off and their genes would not go on to other generations. So the development of the placebo effect is an important part of human nature. And now geneticists have actually found one or two genes which seem to be focal in placebo response. And it's placebo response that's responsible for many of the healings that Rolling Thunder did. Also, it's responsible for the re- the way that uh, uh, psychotherapy works, hypnosis works, suggestion works, and it can be used for very positive effects for people and their friends and families and communities. Hmm. Our guest this hour is Stanley Krippner, Ph.D., a professor of psychology at Staybrook University and the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. His website, stanleykrippner.weebly.com. Um, Stanley, what do you see as the most impactful lesson that Rolling Thunder left us? 
I think that Rolling Thunder left a couple of messages. The first message was to work with nature, do not exploit nature. And in his whole life, he lived that out in terms of how close he was to nature, not only the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, but the natural world itself. But also, he had a very spiritual message in terms of being close to the great spirit and letting spirit empower you and letting spirit direct your intention. If your intention, what you intend to do, is at one with the great spirit, then it's more likely to succeed to the benefit of all concerned. And then I think his third lecture was one of standing up for what you believe. He was an activist, and he was right front and center in terms of many of the uh, American Indian movement um, protests and demonstrations, occupations of Alcatraz and other sites. He was friendly with uh, many of the leaders of that era. And there's a lot of history of American Indian activism in our book, and we tell how Rolling Thunder was in the front lines of that. But also he was very peaceful. He did a number of very powerful protests peacefully when the developers were cutting down pineal nut trees. He knew that the poor Indians were dependent upon those nuts for nutrition. So instead of fighting uh, the developers, he and his group came out and put sand in the bulldozers so the bulldozers couldn't destroy any more trees. And then they photographed the bulldozers and had one of their people take them to Washington and most of the senators weren't interested, but Senator Ted Kennedy was interested, and he took this right to President Nixon, who, despite all of his faults, was very much a friend of Indian Indians, and Nixon ex issued an executive order that stopped the ruination of the pinion nut trees. That's a little-known story, but that's what saved the pinion nut trees for the poor Indians of that era. Mm. And it also shows Rolling Thunder's commitment to nonviolence. We could sure use a bit standing rock right about now, couldn't we? We sure could. You bet. <laughs> you know, there's been a, a concerted effort to eradicate shamanism over the years. Why do you think that's the case? Will you repeat the question? Sure. I said there's been a concerted effort to eradicate shamanism over the past years. Why do you think that is? Oh, good heavens, shamanism is such a threat to so many sources. It's a threat to conventional medicine because it works so well. It's a threat to organized religion, which is ridiculous because there are Christian shamans, there are Jewish shamans, there are Buddhist shamans, there are Muslim shamans, there are Taoist shamans. But anything that deviates from a dogma is often seen as a threat to organized religion. Shamanism is not a religion, it's a spiritual practice, and it's a spiritual technology. And I think that uh, from the point of view of orthodox medicine, making fun of shamanism, it's the same thing you had hundreds of years ago when the witches were burned. The doctors were so jealous of the witches because their medicines worked better than the doctor's medicines that they got together the church and burned tens of thousands of women, if not more. And then, of course, the church inherited the land. The women were very clever and held a lot of land. So greed and envy was at the basis of all of the witch burning, which thankfully came to end not all that long ago, unfortunately. And in still parts of the world where you hear about witches being burned. Yeah, which, which isn't, witchcraft and sham, uh, shamanic practice are very similar, aren't they? I said witchcraft and shamanic practices are very similar, yes? Oh, very similar. Yes, you're so right. You are so right, unfortunately. Well, 
shamans were not dogmatic. Shamans would pull information from wherever they could find it. Shamans would even change their point of view if something came along that was better. And they were extremely eclectic, pulling from what they could find good about other traditions. And when shamans get together, they have a big uh, exchange session where they'll exchange recipes, they'll exchange ideas about ritual, they'll exchange stories. I've been at a couple of these meetings where shamans have gotten together and they get along remarkably well. And there's a so lot there's, of fun. They'll tell each other stories. There's your altruism for you. <laughs> we're going to have to call it good because time flies and we're out of it. Our guest this hour has been Stanley Krippner, Ph.D., a professor of psychology at Saybrook University and the co-author and editor of The Shamanic Powers of Rolling Thunder. His website, stanleykrippner.weebly.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you become one with life.